0: It's time to open your Bible to the book of Philemon, chapter 1 and verse 16. Philemon one sixteen for our message from the Word of God this morning. If you're using the Pew Bible, all you have to do is turn to page 1286 to find Philemon one and verse 16. Today's date is September 2nd, 2018. Fall is falling. (laughs) Our text is going to be in Philemon 1, verses 16 and 17. And the title of this morning's message is Philemon's Return Policy. Philemon's return policy. And we begin with the story of a mother who went into her son's room one morning and said, Wake up, son. It's the first day of school. And you don't want to be late. To which her son replied, I don't want to go to school. Well, his mom said, give me two good reasons why you shouldn't go to school. And he said, well, for one, all the kids hate me. And for another, all the teachers hate me too. So, you give me two reasons Why, I should go to school. She said, well, for one, you're 50 years old, and for two, you're the principal. better go to school. (laughs) Well, as kids everywhere begin to return to school, we resume our study of the book of Philemon, a book that is all about the return of a runaway slave named Onesimus, a runaway slave who met the apostle Paul and got saved. And now Paul is returning him to his master Philemon, asking him to have a merciful return policy for Onesimus and not be too hard on him. Last week we saw Paul say to Philemon, you know, maybe the reason that he ran away in the first place was so that he could get saved and you could receive him back as a believer, let's begin by reviewing that verse in verse 15 and then pick up our study in verse 16. Speaking of Onesimus, the runaway slave, Paul says in Philemon 1.15, For perhaps he therefore departed for a season... Maybe the reason he ran away for a little while was so that you would receive him back forever. Not now as a servant, but above a servant, a brother beloved, specially to me. But how much more unto thee, both in the flesh and in the Lord? Now, as we begin, we have to make clear when Paul asks Philemon to receive Onesimus back as a brother and not as a servant, he wasn't saying that Onesimus wasn't a servant anymore just because he'd gotten saved. Christianity is not about... Getting you out of your difficult circumstances. Despite what I guess you'd call the deliverance preachers would say. (laughs) Christianity is all about helping you accept your difficult circumstances. And be content in whatsoever state you're in. Knowing that God can use you in your circumstances better than if he delivered you out of your difficult circumstances. Because remember, he says his power is made perfect in your weakness. So, in asking Philemon to receive Onesimus back, quote, not as a servant, He wasn't saying he wasn't a servant any longer. He was just telling Philemon not to receive him as a servant. That he should receive him as a brother instead. Both were true. He was still a servant. But now he was, what's that word Paul uses there? Quote, above a servant. He was a brother in Christ. It's kind of like what Paul said in your first cross-reference in 1 Thessalonians 2.13. He told them, When you received the word of God, which ye heard of us, ye received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God. Now, Paul wasn't saying that his words weren't the words of a man. They were. They just didn't receive them as the words of men. They received them as above the words of men. They received them as the words of God. You see the same thing in your next reference. When Paul said to the Galatians... In Galatians 4 and verse 14, you reminded them that they had received him as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. Now Paul wasn't saying he wasn't a man. He was just saying they didn't receive him as a man. Th- they received him as an angel. Now angels were messengers from God, right? So the Galatians received Paul as somebody who had a message from God for them. And they also understood that Jesus Christ spoke through the apostle Paul. So they received him as they received, Christ, as they would receive Christ, he says. Paul was still a man, beloved, but they received him as More than a man. And that's what Paul's asking Philemon to do by using that word more there in our text in verse 16. As he returned Onesimus to him. He was still a servant. But Paul's saying receive him as more than a servant. Receive him as above a servant. Receive him as a brother in Christ. Now, now, what we have here is an illustration of how the Lord receives us when we run away from Him as believers. And if you've ever done that, you might want to pay close attention to this part. Look how Paul describes us before we were saved in your next reference in Romans 6.17. He says, you were, you were servants. Servants of sin. Before you were saved, you were the servant of sin. Now that you're saved, you still sin. <laughs> and sometimes you, you run away from God and do your own thing for a while, like, like Onesimus did. But now you're more than just a sinner. You're more than just a sinner. When you run away from the Lord, He receives you back as more than just a sinner. He receives you back as a, as a brother in Christ. As a member of His body. And then, and then He calls on you to do what Romans fifteen seven says. Receive ye one another as Christ also received us to the glory of God. Listen. When some brother or sister in Christ wrongs you, God expects you to receive them back as Christ received you. And if you'll do that, Romans 15, 7 says, you'll glorify God. Listen, picture this situation here. Philemon had a real chance to glorify God Almighty and so do you. Every time somebody wrongs you. It hurts when somebody wrongs you. But it is a major spiritual opportunity for you to bring glory to God by forgiving them. And we're seeing that illustrated here with this epistle. I remind you, the book of Philemon doesn't teach Pauline doctrine. It illustrates them. Now... When Paul says that Philemon should receive Onesimus as, there's that word, above a servant, we have to ask, well, how far above a servant are we talking here? <laughs> well, look at what the Lord said to the twelve apostles in your next reference in John 15 and verse 15. He said, henceforth, I call you not servants. I have called you friends. Well, let me ask you, is a is a friend above a servant? Shake your head up and down, and yeah, okay. But now notice the Lord says, henceforth I call you not servants. That means that up until that time he did call them servants, right? So what changed? How come suddenly they were promoted from servants to friends? Well, look look at the fuller version of John 15 and verse 15 that I gave you in your next reference. The Lord said, Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth. But I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard of my Father... I have made known unto you, and now you know what your Lord is doing. Hey, I don't have to tell you, a servant doesn't need to know what the master's doing. I mean, you go to work, do you know what the boss is doing in his office? Probably playing video games, you know. But You don't have to know. A servant just needs to do what he's told, right? You know what Alfred Lord Tennyson said about soldiers, don't you? Ours is not to wonder why. Ours is but to do and die. (laughs) Well, well, the same is true for servants. It's not a servant's job to wonder what his boss or his master or his lord is doing. But the Lord said there came a time when the twelve were promoted to friends. And he told them that that time came after he had finished telling them all that the Father had made known to him. But now here's the thing. After the Lord died and rose again, he began to call them by another new name, one that you read about in your next reference, Hebrews 2.11. Speaking of the Lord, it says for both he that sanctifieth, he's the one that sanctifies people, And they who are sanctified are all of one. For which cause he's not ashamed to call them friends. Is that what you're saying? No. Now they've been promoted from friends to brethren. Because when the Lord died, he made the Hebrews, to whom that was written, one with him. And then later on, when the dispensation of grace started, he made us Gentiles, one with him. And that is how Paul is asking Philemon to receive his servant. As a brother. As someone who Christ died for. As someone who is one with Christ. And one with him. Can I ask you a personal question? Can you do that? Can you do that when someone wrongs you? Can you glorify God like that? I think that forgiveness glorifies God like nothing else. So if there's somebody in your life that you need to forgive, give God some glory. Now, when Paul says that Philemon should receive Onesimus as a brother Beloved. Oh, that word beloved should make you think of something that God said at the beginning of the Lord Jesus' ministry on earth. Look at Matthew 3, 16 and 17. Jesus, when he was baptized, saw the Spirit of God and, lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my, what kind of son? My beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. Jesus Christ is God's beloved. So, in asking Philemon to receive Onesimus as a beloved brother, he's asking him to receive him like Christ. Because what does Paul say in your next reference? Ephesians 1.6. He has made us accepted in the Beloved. You know, in case Philemon was thinking that what Onesimus did to him was was unacceptable, Paul's reminding him, well, you know, brother, you were unacceptable to God (laughs) before you were saved. But now you're accepted in the beloved one. And you should accept Onesimus the same way. Can you remember that? Can you remember that when you find somebody's behavior unacceptable. Beloved, there is a reason why forgiveness has such a huge part in the last epistle from Paul in your Bible. I I think it's of utmost importance. But now with that word, beloved, if you know your Bible, you know that... After God the Father called His Son Beloved at His baptism, He later repeated that in Matthew 17. Look at your next reference in Matthew 17 and verse 5. A voice came out of the cloud when they were on the the Mount of Transfiguration and said the exact same words He said in Matthew 3. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. (laughs) Well, now you have to ask, why would he repeat that? Well, it had to do with something that he added that he didn't say in Matthew 3. Look at your next reference. I gave you the four version. A voice in Matthew 17.5, a voice came out of the cloud and said, this is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. The reason God had to add that was because His Son had just said something that the twelve didn't seem to hear. In the chapter right before this happens, in, in Matthew 16, 21 and 22, you read these words. Jesus at that time began to show His disciples something new. That word began means this is where He started telling them this. He didn't tell them this before. In Matthew 16, Jesus began to show his disciples how he must suffer and be killed and raised again. Then Peter took him and began to rebuke him, saying, Be it far from thee, Lord, this this shall not be unto thee. God's beloved son tried to tell them that he had to die. But they didn't want to hear it. That's why in the very next chapter, God spoke up again and said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Hear Him when He says things. So I think, in using that word beloved, Paul is trying to tell Philemon to receive Onesimus like he would Christ, like we talked about. But that the way to receive Christ was to hear what He says. And Philemon knew that Christ today is speaking through the Apostle Paul. And look what Paul says in Colossians 3, 11 to 13 Look what the Lord says through Paul. Speaking of, his, of the body of Christ, he says, In the body of Christ there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision or uncircumcision, bond nor free, Philemon, master or slave. But Christ is all and in all, put on therefore as the elect of God, Holy and what? Hey, there's that word again. Beloved. Put on bowels of mercies, kindness, forbearing one another, and forgiving one another as Christ forgave you. Listen. If Jesus Christ is God's beloved, like it said, and you're in Christ, you're beloved of God now. That's what that verse is saying. And as God's beloved... Philemon was supposed to receive Onesimus as God's beloved, because he was God's beloved too. And you're seeing all of this illustrated in the book of Philemon. Now, back in verse 16, when Paul says that Onesimus was a brother beloved, especially to me, well, it's not hard to understand Why Paul felt that Onesimus was special to him. After all, he led him to the Lord. And listen, if if you've ever led someone to Christ, if you ever had the privilege of leading a soul to Christ, you know what a what a special relationship that gives you. It's even special when you lead someone to the Lord, and then you only have a. A short time together with them before they depart out of your life. And I think that's what was happening with Paul and Onesimus. You say, well, why would you think that? Well, I know that you can picture what happened. After Paul led Onesimus to the Lord, he started teaching him the Word of God, right? And what is the first thing you teach someone you've led to the Lord? You tell them, well, now that you're saved by grace through faith without any works, now you should do some works. Now you should do what God says, right? When you lead a child to the Lord, the first thing you tell them is what Ephesians 6.1 says. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. When you lead a wife to the Lord, the first thing you tell a wife is 1 Corinthians 11.3. The head of the woman is the man. And then, when you lead a husband to the Lord, the first thing you tell him is in your next... is a different part of 1 Corinthians 11.3. The head of every man is Christ. But what's the first thing you tell a servant after you lead a servant to the Lord? Colossians 3.22, servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh. So, after Paul led Onesimus to the Lord, that's the first thing he would have taught him. Can't you just hear it? Can't you just hear Paul reading that verse, Colossians 3.22, which was part of the letter to the Colossians where Philemon lived? Can't you just hear Paul reading that verse and looking at Onesimus and saying, now you know what that means son. <laughs> that means you have to go back to your master. And, and Paul, listen, Paul would not have waited very long to teach him that. He would have sent, he would have led him to the Lord, taught him that and sent him back to his master knowing that Philemon would teach him the word of God once he got back. My point is that Paul didn't know Onesimus very long, and yet he says he was special to him. But that explains in verse 16 why he went on to tell Philemon, yeah, he's special to me, but how much more to thee? You see, Philemon had known Onesimus for a long time. Maybe even since birth, if he was born a slave. Might be the reason Onesimus ran away in the first place. He he might have thought to himself, why should I have to be a slave just because my dad ran up debts he couldn't pay or, or whatever the reason he ended up in slavery was. But... When someone you've known a long time gets saved, it's special. What does Paul say in verse 16? In the flesh, right? But he also says in verse 16, in the Lord. He says, Onesimus is now special to you in the Lord. What does that mean? I think it means this. Onesimus was somebody that Philemon was witnessing to. Somebody he'd been praying on his knees to God for. Somebody he probably was ordering him to attend the home church that they had there so that he could hear the Word of God taught. Now maybe you're thinking, well, why would you teach an unsaved man the Word of God? Oh, my dear friends... It would be to try to win him to Christ. Evangelism is more than just repeating Christ died for our sins and rose again backward and forward and inside out and illustrated nine ways the Sunday. People get saved by hearing the Word of God taught. The book of Romans in your Bible is a, is an exposition of the gospel of salvation. Pastor Kirkwood called it the handbook of salvation. Well, there's listen, there's people out there if the gospel doesn't make logical sense, they're not going to believe it. Well, that's what the book of Romans does. So when you teach it, people trust Christ. People even get saved when Here's a big word, eschatology is taught. You know what, eschatology, not even an easy word to say. Eschatology is is the study of end time things. Did I get that one right, Boyd? (laughs) Uh, The rapture, the tribulation, the second coming, the kingdom. It's strange, but people are often more afraid of the Antichrist than they are of hell. I think it has something to do with how they're, uh, of what they can relate to. For instance, I'm more afraid of being cut with a knife than I am of being shot with a gun. Probably because I've been cut with a knife. Not in a knife fight. I mean, you know, opening some of those packaging things that's plat, you know, those plastic things. They say more people are in the ER for that than just about anything else. Uh, I've been cut with a knife, but I've never been shot with a gun, yet anyway. <laughs> um, so, I'm more afraid of what I can relate to. Well, most people can't relate to a, 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 an eternal fire that burns, but never burns them up. Because they've never experienced a fire that 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 burns but doesn't consume, but you talk to them about having to take a mark, or they won't be able to buy food, and they can relate to that, because everybody's been hungry at some time or other in their life, not like in impoverished lands, but I can remember years ago I used to do things like going on weekend canoeing trips with my cousin and. We went on a canoeing trip one time to a, and we got to the place and the, when we got there the only diner was closed. And we were hungry. And then we woke up in the morning and found out it was one of those places that doesn't serve breakfast. So we thought, well, we can either wait around till noon when they open or do the canoeing we came here to do. I'll tell you what, by the end of that day, <laughs> You know, when you're young, especially, uh, you, you get hungry. Like here, you know, you're a growing boy. You know, everybody's been hungry at some time or another. So, even teaching eschatology can 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 get people to get saved to escape the antichrist. I don't want any of that. My point is, Philemon had heavily invested in Onesimus in spiritual things like that. And when you're witnessing to someone and praying for someone and teaching someone the word of God and they get saved. They are special to you what does Paul say? In the Lord. See how he's saying? See what see what the meaning behind that expression there? And here's another thing. Now that Onesimus was saved, There was another way that he was special in the flesh. Now that his servant was saved, he was going to be a better servant than before he got saved. Because Christianity can make you a better person. Amen? Now listen, um, it's not automatic like the Lordship Salvation people think. The Corinthians prove that. They got they got saved and they, they, they took them a while to come around, didn't it? But people often become better people after they're saved. I can remember reading a biography of evangelist Billy Sunday, and uh he he used to do crusades like Billy Graham did, and only Billy Sunday preached hard on alcohol. In fact, they say that. He was probably one of the leading reasons they passed the eighteenth amendment and and led us into the prohibition area. One of the ways he got to be so famous is when he would preach in one city. Business owners would call their partners and their associates in other cities and say, You gotta get behind this guy when he gets to your time. You gotta support him financially, because ever since he preached here in our city my employee stopped showing up for work drunk or hung over. And that's good for business. So they got behind him and supported him. Drunks who get saved are less likely to keep drinking. And now that Onesimus was saved, he was less likely to run away. And... Less likely to steal from his master before he ran away. As we saw in our scripture reading in the later verses of Philemon this morning. And as we'll see in our study next week. But here's the thing now. As we get into verse 17. Paul is not done putting the lean on Philemon. You ever heard that phrase? (laughs) Paul wasn't done putting the lean on his friend to get him to be merciful to his servant. He's got another argument in verse 17 in your Bible. In verse 17, Paul says to Philemon, if you count me therefore a partner, then receive him as myself. Now you know what a partner is, right? That's somebody whose part owner of a business. At least that's how it's used in your next reference in Luke 5 and verses 6 to 10. You remember what happened when the Lord told Peter where to fish? (laughs) They enclosed a great multitude of fishes and they beckoned to who? That word partner is only used a few times in the Bible, but this is one of them. They beckoned to their partners which were in the other ship. They had two ships. That they should come and help them. And James and John were partners with Simon Peter there. Now listen, if you want to talk about a partner, partnerships don't get any stronger than men who are partners in a fishing business. Because you're all in the same boat. And if the boat goes down, you all go down with it, right? <laughs> I, 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 st- I don't know if this is true or not, but it might be the reason they call it a partnership. You know, who knows? <laughs> well, I, it, listen, you would be surprised when you look up words and find out how they got to be in our language. Well, Paul is saying to Philemon that he says, you, you probably count me as a partner in the ministry. We know that he called, he counted, uh, Titus a partner in the ministry. Look at your next reference in 1 Corinthians 8 and verse 23. Paul was talking about the, uh, finance, the financial gift he'd collect, collected for the Gentile, for, for the poor saints at Jerusalem, and it was huge. So, he says, you might be wondering, can you trust this guy Titus that I'm going to send the money with? So he says in 1 Corinthians 8.32, if anybody's got any questions of Titus, whether any do acquire of Titus, he is my partner and fellow helper concerning you. Now, in telling this to Philemon, you got to love how Paul's going about this because he's not asking Philemon to receive his slave back mercifully Because he was an apostle. He's already said he wasn't going to pull rank on him. Remember that? Look back in your Bible at verse 8. In verse 8, he told Philemon, Wherefore, I could order you as an apostle, though I might be much bold in Christ to enjoin thee that which is convenient. If you were here when we studied that verse, you learned that that word enjoin, it means to order somebody or command somebody but it means to order or command with authority. Paul is saying, I could order you as an apostle to receive him back that way. But Paul said, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to pull rank on you. He wasn't elbowing Philemon and saying, oh, you, you, I want you to be nice to, to Onesimus because I'm an apostle. He was elbowing him and saying, hey, remember me? I'm the guy who's a fellow helper, a partner in the ministry, the guy who's not afraid to roll his sleeves up and go to work for the Lord. Paul was not the the kind of apostle who sat in the ivory tower writing epistles and sending them out to... that phrase they use, the great unwashed out there, you know. He was down there in the fields with his men planting and watering the seed of the Word of God. And building up the body of Christ. And he was in the trenches battling the the false teachers there. Duking it out with them. And listen, if you're involved in that, if you're involved in the work of the ministry, you know why he's asking Philemon something on that basis. Because what a stranger asks you to do something, you know, You, you're, how many times you've been pumping gas and somebody comes up and asks you for a handout, I've had that or whatever. When a stranger asks you to do something, you don't feel overly obligated to do it. When a friend asks you to do something, well, you feel a little more obligated. But let me tell you, if somebody who works with you in the ministry asks you to do something, That bears more weight than anything I know, frankly. I mean, my partners in the ministry here at Faith Bible Church, they don't ask much but of me. But when they do, I can tell you, I feel the lean. (laughs) I feel them lean. Thornton is one of my oldest and dearest partners in the ministry. And he loves electronics. And he loves this electronic store on the south side of Chicago. And a few years ago he had something that was broken. He wanted me to take it there and then pick it up afterward. And I really hate going into Chicago. I, you know, I hate the traffic and the time it takes. And every week I go, when I go to BBS, I gladly pay the tolls to go around the city rather than go through the city. And listen, Thornton doesn't ask much of me. The only reason he asked that was because he hates traffic even more. I'll tell you what, I live in fear that Myrtle will ever ask anything of me because that's one lady I would have a whole lot of trouble saying no to after all the work in the ministry she's done with me. But now i got a question for you. If this book of Philemon is a book of illustrations... What's Paul illustrating here when he says you should do this because I'm your partner in the ministry? Well, I'll tell you what's not being illustrated. It's not illustrating how you should be merciful and forgiving and forbearing to people just because you consider me to be your partner. You should do all those things because the Apostle Paul is your partner in the ministry? say, what do you mean by that? Well, think about it. After James and John and Peter quit their fishing partnership, they became part of a new partnership in the ministry. And I don't have to tell you, the problem with Christianity today is they think they're part of that partnership that the 12 apostles had. Instead of being a partner with the Apostle Paul. You know what that means? That means they're fishing for men using the wrong net. They're using the net of the kingdom gospel. You've seen me quote this verse to define the kingdom gospel many times in John 20, 31. Believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, that you might have life through His name. That was the kingdom gospel. All you had to believe to be saved was Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. That gospel won't work in the dispensation of grace. If you want to be saved today, you have to believe that the Son of God died for your sins. What's the point? They're using the wrong net to catch men. A few weeks ago when I went fishing with my son Jesse... I asked him, well, should I bring some worms or minnows? And he said, well, you can if you want to, but Meps number five is king on this lake. Anybody a fisherman, you know what the Meps spinners are? The Meps spinners are, in fact, the reason it might be so good on that lake, the Meps factory that ships them all over the country is right near there. He said, you can bring worms and minnows if you want, but Meps 5, number 5, is king on this lake. And you know what? He was right. I didn't catch anything on worms. But I did catch a good-sized northern pike, and those things are mean. Did you ever catch a northern pike? Mean, vicious, ornery fish. They'll bite you. They'll draw blood. (laughs) I did catch a northern pike on a Rapala shad wrap. And Jesse looked at that, and he says, huh. That's the first time I've ever seen a fish caught in this lake on anything but a a MEPS number five. And I said, well, just stick with your old dad and you'll learn a few things about fishing. (laughs) But whether you're fishing with nets or bait, you've got to use the right one. And the same is true for fishing for men. Too many Christians today are using the net of the kingdom gospel. Some of them are even using the, the net of the law of Moses, partnering with Moses in the ministry instead of Paul, saying that you got to keep the law of Moses, the Ten Commandments to be saved. Or like the Lordship Salvation people say, you gotta, you got to keep the law to prove you're saved. Now you want to partner with Paul. That's what he's illustrating here. Now, I know what people say when you tell them, well, I partner with Paul. They say, well, you should be partnering with the Lord Jesus Christ, right? You know, all the things he taught when he was here on earth. But don't forget what this epistle is all about. It's all about why Philemon should forgive his runaway slave. Well, why would the Lord say he should forgive him, according to your next reference? The Lord said in Matthew 6.14, If ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you. Their salvation depended on forgiving other people. But we've already seen that Paul said the opposite. Paul says you should forgive people because you're already forgiven. Is that different? Is that a different kind of net? Is that a different kind of bait? Sure. You could partner with the Lord in the things He said on earth if you want to, but I'm with Paul on this one. Did you know that even the return policy, we're talking return policies of this message, even the return policy of the 12 apostles was different than Paul's. Look at your last reference in Matthew 18.21. Peter said, Lord, How often shall my brother sin against me? And I forgive him seven times. Peter thought he was being generous with that. And Jesus said, no, unto 70 times seven. (laughs) Now listen, he the Lord was not saying, as most people teach this passage, that you should never stop forgiving. Seventy times seven is how many years, you mathematicians? Four hundred ninety ye- what he's talking about is years. Get Clarence Larkin's big book Dispensational Truth. He's got a chart in there that I just love. Had to been a spiritual genius to figure this out. He maps out Israel's history and shows that there are four sections of four hundred ninety years each. The last of them Daniel talked about seventy years are you know on de- are determined on your people, he says. So what the Lord was saying here is this. You've got to keep forgiving, Peter, unto the last of that 490-year section, unto the end of the tribulation. And after the tribulation, you won't have to worry about forgiving other people because all the ones who are persecuting you are going to die at the Battle of Armageddon. No, folks, it's Paul's return policy that says keep on forgiving no matter how often you've been wrong. That's what verse 16 is illustrating here. And it's an important illustration. How many of you think God didn't know that eventually, and soon after Paul died, even before he died, how many of you think God didn't know that most Christians would partner with the twelve apostles rather than Paul? How many of you think he didn't know that most of them would rather partner with Moses than the Apostle Paul. I think he knew. And I think he gave us this illustration for that. Because if you don't understand that Paul is your partner in the ministry, you're never going to get anything straight. But if you're not saved this morning, if you're not saved, you need to know you don't have to forgive anybody to be saved. And you don't have to keep the Ten Commandments. You weren't doing such a good job with that anyway. The only way Paul says in the book of Romans, where he analyzes and studies and expounds the gospel of salvation, Paul says in the book of Romans that you can be saved by the Ten Commandments if you never break one in your entire life. You keep them perfectly. Well, that ship sailed when you were a little kid. But the Lord Jesus Christ kept them. And then He died a sacrificial death for your sins. And the book of Romans will tell you, if you'll believe that, God will save you. Amen? Amen.